The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Sure is good to see all of you. Thanks again for coming. Let's pray. Ask for God's help as we come before his word together. God, you're holy, you've made us for yourself, and here we are before you, you know each one of us, right now you know our minds towards you, our hearts towards you, and you have something to say, I pray that we would be ready to listen. Lord, each one of us, we come here, some of us are excited to be here, some of us, maybe it feels like a duty, uh, that's something we had to do, but Lord, break Break into our lives again. Show us how amazing you are and speak to us, we pray, as we come before your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, All right, today I'm beginning a series of messages I'm calling uh, Revitalize. Do you know what it it means to be revitalized? Um, It's to give something a new life or a new energy, a new vitality, a new passion, And honestly, it's my hope, I'm praying that each one of you, your relationship with God would experience that kind of a a process. You'd feel revitalized. You'd feel closer to him. Uh, You'd see him again for who he is. You'd want more of him. You'd pursue him. You'd be encouraged by him. And and as that happens to us individually, it would happen to us as a community as well. So in all honesty, I want to ask you over these next few weeks, will will you pray with me for that? Will you ask God that he'd be doing that in yourself personally and then in us as well? Let's ask him to do that for us. We're going to begin this morning on that theme by thinking about the Bible. So I got a couple questions for you. Number one, this is just between you and yourself. You can, you can scribble it down on the white card or something if you want to. But what do you believe about the Bible? I mean, honestly, what, what do you believe about the Bible. What would you say? What would you say if somebody just asked you, you're having coffee, what do you believe about, about the Bible? What would you say? Is it true? Does, to you, does what the Bible says represent reality? How would you answer that in your mind? Now, many of us would say, Uh, something like, I think it's God's word. Um, You might say, I think um, it's his communication to us. So yeah, it's true. It's our authority. Uh, If you wouldn't say that, if you're like, I'm not sure about the Bible, if you're curious, I would love to talk to you about the Bible. So if you have questions about the Bible, I would love to interact with you about those. But I I know a lot of you said, thought, well, it's God's word. It's true. Okay. Maybe we, I'm going to throw some big words at you now, or, you know, bigger concepts, okay? Maybe we could call that formal theology, okay? I just threw the theology word at you. What's theology? It's real simple. Um, Ology just means study of, right? Knowing something. Theos means God. So it's a study of God. What do you know about God? What do you believe about God? That's your theology. What do you know? What do you believe about God? Formal theology is what you say you believe, right? 
It's, it's filling in the blanks. Maybe you went to Sunday school or a membership class, and, and that's incredibly important. Formal theology is what you fill, fill in the blanks. And, and your formal theology about the Bible might be, well, it's um, the Word of God. It's true. It's um, authority for life. All right. Let me ask you a different question. How important is the Bible to you as shown by the evidence of your everyday life? How important do you believe the Bible is to your everyday life and your future and even life as shown by, by like Tuesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon? How important is the Bible to you? Like take your pulse on the Bible. What's your excitement level on the Bible? You may have said it's God's word, it's true, it's authority. Formal theology. Actual theology is... How do you feel it? How committed to it are you based on what you actually do, what you actually think, what you actually feel? Actual theology. What you, see, your actual theology is what you really believe as shown by your actual life. What would it look like in your life, in my life, in our lives together? What would it look like if our formal theology was our actual theology, what would it be like for what we say about the Bible to actually happen every day in our real lives? One word for that is that uh, you would be revitalized. You would be built up. You would be changed. It would be good for us. Today we're looking at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Now there's a bunch of psalms. What are psalms? Psalms are uh, the God-inspired prayer book for his people. The God-inspired prayer book for his people. So God, God wrote these, and yet they're prayers. And so if God wrote the prayer, what's he saying to you? Come to me like this. So there's psalms of anger, there's psalms of disappointment, there's psalms of joy, there's psalms of probably every human emotion you can have, confusion, happiness, um, anxiety, hope. And God is saying, here, here's a guide for you to come to me. Come to me like this. A guidebook for your hearts. Re- relate with me like this. And isn't it interesting, as we come to the book of Psalms, which is a the prayer guide for God's people, the first one is about God's word. It's, the first one is about the Bible. So it's kind of like God is saying, before you relate to me or as you relate to me, you should come to my word first. Don't just start praying. I mean, yeah, do. But come to my word first. Listen to me and talk with me. But hear what I have to say. Come to my word. If you want to know me, Come to my word. And we're going to see as we look through the psalm, the psalm makes some massive, explosive claims about reality. This is, this is not like a, the psalm is not insecure. It's making strong statements like this. Number one, the psalm is going to say, throughout all the diversity in the world, there's really only two kinds of people. It's just two kinds of people when it comes down to it. That's what the psalm says. The psalm is also going to say, these two kinds of people have two very different destinies. They're going very different places. 
The third thing the psalm is going to say is that the destinies of these people depend upon their delights. Do you hear that? The destiny depends upon the delight. So what you love, your actual theology, every day. The way you live your every day, what you love every day, that's determining where you're going. Your destiny is determined by your delighting, your heart. And this all hinges upon, the psalm will say, two different kinds of people, two different destinies, depending upon what you delight in, and it all depends on your actual theology, what you love and do in your everyday life when it comes to the Bible. It all depends, it all depends, the psalm says, on your actual theology, your actual pulse towards the Bible. Now, a lot of you, when I asked you what you thought about the Bible, you said it's God's word, right? So, so I'm, I'm going to assume a lot of you think Psalm 1 is God's word. It's true, right? You think it's true? Psalm 1 is going to give you a statement about reality. Reality is like this, Psalm 1 is going to say. This is how it goes. And so it's, an, it's warning you right on one side. You probably don't want to do option, option A, because the way reality works, option A, it's going to burn you. You don't want to go there. And then Psalm 1 is going to say, in fact, I would advise option B. Option B is going to take you good places. You should go option B. And it's a state, Psalm 1, it's a statement about reality. Don't go option A, go, go, go option B. And for many of us, we're, we're thinking, well, this is God's word. And so, are we listening to this psalm? What kind of people will we be? What are our delights? So if you're, if you're a kid and you're in here today, how many of you, my favorite people in the room, 12 and under, okay? I got you, I got you, right? Aren't you proud of them for sitting in here, okay? Um, this psalm is for you and can change your life forever. If you grasp onto this and you're, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old heart, and you said, I'm going to own this psalm, it would change your life forever. Some of us in this room would be like, I could have used more of that earlier. Okay? So maybe, maybe you're a young adult. Okay? That, is that the cheesiest phrase ever? What do you want me to call you? Millennials? Boomers? Busters? Uh, well, how do we even say this? 20s, 30s? I don't, know. I don't know what to do. Maybe you're a young adult and you're here. This psalm is saying, hey, you're building your life right now. You're making choices right now. Own this thing, and this will change your life. Okay? Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're more in the flower of your maturity. <laughs> Isn't that gracious, a way to say it? You're in the flower of your maturity. I'm going to be 40 next year. Okay? The psalm is saying... Here's life, grasp it now. Do it now, here it is. And maybe <laughs> you're really in the flower of your maturity. <laughs> the flower's fading. Not only on the outside, not, not even, you're beautiful, come on, you're beautiful. Look, my dad has a picture on his wall, and underneath it it says, finish strong. Finish strong. This psalm is how to finish strong. It's the way I'm going out. Okay? It's huge. And the reason we want to listen, whether we're 
eight years old or 80 years old is because of what this, this psalm is offering. So I'm on page 448, and I really hope you'll follow along with me. Psalm 1. Look at the first phrase. What's the first word of Psalm 1? Somebody tell it to me. Blessed, okay? And that's what you say when somebody sneezes, right? What does blessed mean? Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says a better word for this is happy. That's what it means. It means happy. Happy is the man. Now, for an ancient Hebrew, this word for man means anyone, okay? It's not, it's not, it's not gender specific. Happy is the person. Happy is the woman. Happy is the man. Happy is the boy. Happy is the girl. Happy is the person who, okay, what's the psalm offering? You want to be happy? Do you remember what that feels like? Can you imagine what that feels like, at least? Do you remember a good, clean happiness? You worked on something important. You worked on it hard. It succeeded. You felt that satisfaction. The important things in your life seem right. They seem good. They seem at peace. They seem healthy. You feel happy. You've got people you love and people who love you. You're happy. You're satisfied. Yeah, it's good. Remember that? This psalm is saying to you, if you want to be happy, Listen up. And here's something I know about each one of you. I don't need to be a prophet, you know. You want to be happy. You deeply want to be happy. Everything you do, you do for your happiness. The psalm is saying, if you want to be happy, listen up. It's promising happiness. And then the first thing it gives you is three ways not to be happy. Okay? If you want to be happy, don't do these three things. You want to be satisfied? I got three things for you not to do. What's the first one? Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Key word there is counsel. In other words, don't listen to bad advice about life because your satisfaction depends upon to whom... It depends upon the ones you're listening to. It depends upon what you're listening to. And not just hearing, but the, the advice you take to heart. Okay? If you want to be happy, you be careful about what you're listening to. And this is huge, right? Out, out there, media, everything else, friends, telling you stories about life, what life is about, what it's not about, what will make you happy. They're telling you stories. Newsflash, it's not always true. It's not always true. Some of you have great friends and you love them and you should and they give you horrible advice about life. Horrible advice. Who are you going to listen to? If you want to be satisfied, be picky about where you go for counsel. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The second thing not to do, your satisfaction depends on how you live, stands in the way of sinners. Be aware, be awake to how you live. Don't just follow the herd. Mm, you feel like humans are just a crowd of mm, going where the flow, we're like jellyfish, right? The current's moving this way and that's where we're going. Don't do that. Don't be that person. In the end, you won't be happy. Everybody's doing it. That's what's popular. That's what's, com it's out there. Everybody thinks that. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Be more, more particular than that. Be careful about how you live. Third one, be careful about what you love. Don't be a scoffer. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. 
Because your happiness depends upon what you love. See, scoffers scorn things, they despise things, they hate things, they mock things. Let me show you what a scoffer loves. You got that for me? Look at Proverbs 21:24. Scoffer is the name of the what? Arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So where does a scoffer look for answers? Self. I got this. I got this. Look at Proverbs 15:12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He won't go to the wise. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Scoffer doesn't like good counsel from others. It's going to make it up. These are all warnings, right? Be careful about where, what, what you're listening to. Be careful about how you're living. Be careful about your heart, what you love, what you hate. If, don't listen to the wrong advice. Don't do the wrong deeds. Don't embrace the wrong attitudes, not if you, don't, not if you want to be happy. Instead, we got a better we got better advice. We have a better lifestyle. We have a better attitude. Look here instead. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the one who doesn't do these three things, but, verse 2, read verse 2 with me. Are you there? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's it mean to delight in something? Pleased, happy, pumped, ready to go. Now, what are some of the things you delight in? Okay? Now, I'm going to make a disclaimer. None of these things I'm going to mention are bad. I am not judging any of you if you delight in these things. I'm with you. I delight in them too. I just want to think about delight. Think about the time and the passion and the joy that come from these things. Some of you delight in photography. Anybody like photography? You're great at it. It's beautiful. I love to see it. You love to go out and find the spot, find the moment, get just the right shot. Some of your photos, I've seen them. They're awesome. Delight in it. It's great. Does it take your thinking, your planning, your skilling, your preparing, your equipment? How about cooking? Some of you like to cook, and I like to come over to your house. Okay? You know, there's cooking, eat to live, and then there's cooking, eat to be delighted. Some of you can do that. It's awesome. Fantasy football, who's with me? Okay? You del- the draft is coming, right? The draft is coming, and i got to fill out my roster just right, and it's fun, and we... We, people who never read will read for hours for fantasy football because we delight in it. I understand. Okay? Good bottle of wine. It's a delight. Some of you are artists. You delight in your art, creating things, music, gardening. Some of you are educators. You delight in teaching, training. It's beautiful. It's a delight. But think about these things you delight in. It takes time. It takes passion. It takes joy. It takes effort. Do you delight in the Bible? Not just do you believe the Bible is God's word on the, on the Sunday school survey. Do you delight in the Bible? Psalm 1 is saying, if you want to be satisfied, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. That phrase is summary for all of God's revelation. Delight in God's word. God's communication as recorded in the Bible. So how do you show delight for a book? How do you show passion for a book? Because that's a Bible, right? It's a collection of books, chapters, paragraphs, sentences, words. How do you delight in a book? Well, you, uh, you get a fancy one and you... 
put it in a prominent place on your shelf. Right? That's how you delight in a book. Or you get a big fat one for the communion table and prop it open. Is that how you delight in a book? Or you vacuum seal it. Never put it on the ground so it won't get dirty. Is that how you do it? Or make sure the cover's leather, you know? It's got to be a study Bible. How do you delight in a book? It's not rocket science. Psalm 1 says it like this. His delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he what? Meditates, meditates, meditates. Now some of you are thinking, you just started thinking of the, of the yogi master with the dreadlocks, you know, finding his secret samadhi, you know, his consciousness. That is totally the opposite of what the Bible's talking about. It honestly is. It's totally the opposite. In that worldview, that Eastern religion worldview, you're looking within. There's, there's no personal God out there. You're finding, you know, you're, you're going into your consciousness. It's really alone. That's the total opposite of what we're talking about here. Meditating here is this word mumbling. It's the idea of like you've got, a, you've got a peppermint, a hard candy in your mouth. You don't just go. Okay, you suck on it. You suck on it. You say it over and over again. You think on it. Meditating, mumbling, rolling it around. It's engaging, uh, as opposed to like transcendental meditation, just kind of like losing thought, losing, going away from consciousness. This is, this is actually engaging your mind. You're really thinking about something over and over again from, from different angles. You're looking at it in different ways. You're, you're rolling it around. You're think, it's engaging your head, but it's also engaging your heart because you're asking, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my heart, my head, how I live? And then best of all, this meditation, this is, this is a dwelling word. You are doing this in the presence of God, with God. Because this is God's word. He's spoken to you. And you're listening to what he said. And back when Marcia and I were almost engaged, um, you know, I had my movie moment. She couldn't decide whether she wanted to go to Sudan and be a relief worker or marry me. Um, and so I was the first person she told when she realized she had an opportunity to go to Sudan and be a relief worker. And by God's grace, I was able to say, you should go. You totally need to go. The reason I bring this up is because while she was gone, we wrote letters. And of course, that, that letter had to go through like a battlefield to finally get to somebody's house. And you're reading thoughts that were like a month old. But how did I feel about that letter? Right? You think I read it once and was like, eh. And, and what if there was a phrase I wasn't sure what it meant? What, what is she thinking? Right? I'm chewing over it. I'm probably obsess, obsessing, to be honest with you, right? I'm inventing things that aren't even there in that case. But it's, this is, I'm, I'm meditating on this thing. I'm rolling it around. Why? Because this is a person I care very deeply about, and I want to know what she thinks. What's, what's the Bible again? What is it again? It's God's communication to you. It's to you. God's talking to you. Do you want to know what he thinks? You roll it around. You would meditate on it. That's what it means to delight in it. And listen... Psalm 1 is saying, did you, want to, did you want to be happy? That's what it's saying. Did you want to be satisfied? Yeah. Okay. 
Delight in God's word. How do you delight in a book? Meditate on it. Mumble it. Dwell on it. Dwell on God with God through his word. And you'll be happy. It'll take you there. It'll take you there. And by the way, when do we meditate on it? Sunday mornings, right? 45 minutes. If you're lucky, sometimes 50. Right? When do we meditate on it? Delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law, he meditates day and night. All the time. It's in you. It's all the time. Let me ask you a question. Why is it so important? Why is the psalm hitting this so hard? Why is meditation on God's word so important? Well, think about the nature of God's word. It's a little different than ours, a lot different. I get frustrated sometimes because I will talk, and I'll do my best to talk, and after I'm done talking, I'll feel like I didn't do anything. You ever given somebody advice, and you're like, that was worthless? <laughs> somebody ever given you advice, and they thought, oh, that was worthless, okay? It's so different when God talks. Imagine the Trinity kicking it alone in the universe, happy. Let there be light. What happens? Bam! The sun is burning light. It says in Isaiah, my word doesn't go out in vain. It does everything I want it to do. You see what's different about God's word? God's word is God's action. It is his action. It does stuff. Let me show you this amazing sentence in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21. You learn something about God's word. The first thing you see is, and the Lord, what? Appeared. There he is. Woof. Somehow. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh. That was where the people would meet to worship. For, how did the Lord appear? Second thing. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel, a prophet. By the what? The word of the Lord. God spoke, and he was there in his word. He's there. Folks, when we encounter God's word, it's not just empty talk. By the power of his spirit, this is his word, and he is here. He is speaking. He reveals himself. He's there by his word. Now, some of you, you know this because you got hit by God's word at one point in your life. Do you remember? Do you remember? Sure, we can read God's word and have not, not going in. But there was, for a lot of us, there was a moment when you were like pinned. Pinned. How did he know? I hear it sometimes. It encouraged me so much. Did, were you thinking about me in that sermon? And I'm like, I swear it, I wasn't. I'm not that smart. God went bap. And you went, oh. He acted. He was there. He is here. The reason we meditate on God's word is that to delight in God's word is to delight in God. His word is his action, which means his word is his presence. And when you believe his word, when you trust it, it's communion. It's relationship. God has spoken. You've received. You're responding. He's acting on you. Let me give you this from the Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I what? 
a delight as much as in all riches. Now, this is a prayer, right? What, what is this? Is this a prayer or is this the Bible? It's both. God is speaking. His people are responding. And man, this is actual theology. In the way of your testimonies, God, the Bible, I'd rather have your Bible than money. I'd rather have the Bible than money. You know, how many of you don't read the Bible enough because you don't have enough time? Don't raise your hand. I've said it. I've said it. I'm too busy, okay? If you got paid $1,000 for every half hour you read the Bible, would you be reading it? Would you find a way? Would you find a way? You would find a way. That's because you and I love money more than we love the Bible. Actual theology. Is that good advice? Love money. That'll make you happy, right? Does money make you happy in the end? You sure? I delight in your testimonies. Look at Psalm 40, verse 8. Why do we delight in his testimonies? I delight to do what? Your will. I want to do what you want because I love you. How do you know what he wants? Your law. Your law's in my heart. He's been sucking on it. He's been thinking about it. He knows. He knows. He can't give you word for word, but he, he knows what's in his heart. And he knows what God wants, and he loves God. What does he want? I want to do what you want, God. Then look at Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in what? What's the point? Delight yourself in the Lord. God wants you to be happy in knowing him. And you do it through his word. To delight in God's word is to delight in God. To delight in God is to delight in his word. How come we don't want to listen to the advice of the wicked? Because it's wordless and it's godless. How come we don't want to walk in the way of sinners? It's wordless. It's godless. How come we don't want to sit in the seat of scoffers? Well, they hate God's word. Why? They don't like God. Don't go that way. If you want to be satisfied, here it is. Is God's word true? Listen. God's word that's true is saying, if you want to be satisfied, ultimately, in the end, you delight in this book. And you delight in it by meditating on it, rolling it around, considering it, questioning it, praying it out, thinking it through, day and night. You do that, you'll be satisfied. It's not an easy button. It's not an easy button. But in the end, you'll be satisfied. Some of us right now are saying, okay, God. And some of us right now are feeling like, I don't know, God, I think you're a liar. I don't think that's true. Let it weigh in. Let it weigh in. Is it true? Look at the blessing that comes from delighting in God's word. I see three, four major things, really. Life, character, stability, prosperity. Look at verse 3. Such a great image. If you delight in God's word by meditating on it all the time, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. That's a big deal for us out here in California because we don't have streams of water. You remember what those are, right? Water flowing down a stream. It's wet. Okay, a tree planted by streams of water. How's that tree doing? Sitting right there. I took my kids camping last week. It was dry, it was rocky, except for where the stream is. It was still rocky. But it was green. 
I mean, obviously. You can see where the water was. It's so obvious. This highway of green. Why? They're planted by the stream. And so what is each tree, each bush, each plant right there by the stream? What does it have? It has life. It's alive. It has everything it needs. Its roots are planted in what gives it life. That's a picture of you meditating on God's word constantly. Your roots are planted in what gives you life. It's the first thing, it gives you life. Second thing, it gives you character. Verse three, you'll bear fruit in season. You'll bear fruit. Now, does a tree bear fruit first moment? Planet apples. No, it takes time, right? It takes time, but it comes. It comes. How many of you like coffee? Okay. It, for me, it's more of like I can't live without coffee. Okay. Let's, let's ponder the miracle of coffee for a moment. Don't you feel satisfied just thinking about it? Maybe you're like, I got to go. I got to get some. Um, water, just regular water, coffee beans. And you mess around with those, right? And you heat up the water. You got regular, regular water, which is nice, you know. But then you heat it up and you put it through the coffee beans and something incredible happens. Dripping down comes divine nectar from heaven <laughs> to sustain you, to give you joy and peace, to give you energy that you need. The water gets changed through percolating in the coffee. This is exactly what happens to you and I when we meditate on God's word over time. You are the water. And the spirit starts to heat you up, gives you the desire, and you start moving into God's word and you're thinking about it and you're pondering it and you're questioning it and you're praying it and you're working through it. And then this text says, you start to bear fruit. It changes you. It changes you. It brings things into your life that wasn't there before. Courage. The Bible has given me courage where I never had it before. Courage, fruit, wisdom. Oh, have you found it before? You didn't know where to go or how to handle this or how to understand this issue. And there it was. Or conviction. Do you know what you believe and why and you're not moving and you're happy there? Found it. Fruit, integrity, the ability to live it out or just love and grace comes from the Bible. I've seen the Bible change Myself, others, marriages. It gives character. It also gives stability. Look, it says its leaf does not wither. That's the idea of when there's a, a drought, there's no water. And what happens to all the other trees when there's no water? They're kindling. They dry up. There's nothing left. But not if you're meditating on Scripture day and night. Come on, isn't it easy to have your circumstances define you? own you, claim you, name you based on what life is like? Not if your roots are here. No matter what life brings, if your roots are in God's word and God himself, you still have the resources for the perspective you need, for peace, for hope, for joy. No panic, stability. Your leaf will not wither, no matter what, because you're planted by streams of water. You are meditating on God's word. And lastly, look at this. Can this be true? If you meditate on God's word, if you delight on God's word and meditate on it, in all that you do, end of verse 3, you what? 
You prosper. Now, what's that mean? We can go ahead and set aside what we call the prosperity gospel, right? What's that? Believe in Jesus and become a millionaire, right? And I, I can use a little more of a southern aspect, wear suits and be like, can you just give your love gifts? And, you know, it's not that, right? We, we can set that aside. It's not just getting millions of dollars or something, never getting sick. That's baloney. But what does it mean? In all that you do, you prosper. To prosper means to flourish. It's to be strong. It's to be healthy. I can only give you my own story on this. Here's what I'd say about my own life. I am so much better than I would be at everything due to my time in Scripture. Now, granted, I have a million miles to go in so many ways. I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm saying for my part, for who I have been and who I am now, I am a million, I am so much better than I would be at everything due to my time in Scripture. If I have any prosperity in my life, I give glory to God and His Word, period. I'm a better husband because of this book. There is no question. There's no question. I'm a better father because of this book. I have no doubt. I'm better with my finances or with self-control because of this book. I'm naturally lazy. I'm naturally a procrastinator. I'm naturally a train wreck. But this book has, I've got miles, I'm not saying I've arrived. I've got a million miles to go. But I am, I'm infinitely better at everything than I would be without the effect of this book in my life. A thinker. A friend, a listener, a, a, a more gracious. If you meditate on this, it'll change you. And it'll bring more prosperity, more thriving, more health. Delighting makes you like a tree, and not doing so makes you like what? Look at the, look at the comparison, verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like what? Chaff. Could you pick two more different things? Trees rooted. Thick, strong, bearing fruit, green leaves, chaff. It's like the wasted part of the harvest. You know, you fling it up in the air. It's, it's, it's dry. It's crispy. It's like the wing of a grasshopper. It floats away in the breeze. What? Two different images. Which do you want to be? Do you want to be the tree bearing fruit next to the water or the chaff, the next week's bonfire? You know, the wicked are not sober like chaff. The wind drives away. And the difference is delighting on the law of the Lord. Okay, how many of you can remember bad times, bad decisions that came from being a million miles away from God and his word? Some of you may be there right now. The chaff-like experience. The chaff-like life. I've, I've been there. I felt it. The chaff-like moment. I was away, I ran, I didn't delight where I should delight it. What a promise. You want to be satisfied, delight in his word, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. Now somebody might say, no wait, it doesn't always look like this. There's people who hate God's word whose lives look really good. There's people who love God's word, they're having a bad time. They look messy sometimes. What do you think, isn't that true? Well, the psalm recognizes this, and this promise of satisfaction won't be completely apparent until judgment day. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. When? Where? In the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Did you know this? There's going to be a judgment. 
you're going to stand there before a holy God. You're going to answer. And your delight will have determined your destiny. What did you love? Did you love God by delighting in his word and being changed by it? Some people won't. Some people don't. They'll be like chaff and they'll stand before judgment and they won't stand. They won't be in the congregation of the righteous. They'll perish. They'll be rejected. And this psalm is written so that you won't be that person. You don't have to be that person. Instead, look what happens to the righteous at the judgment. Those who delighted in God by delighting in his word, they'll prosper forever. They'll stand in the judgment. You know, when, we thought of, when you thought of standing before God and his judgment, you know, part of me just wants to melt. I want to hide. I want to run. Can you imagine actually being able to stand there? Stand. Okay. More than okay. Accepted. In the congregation, verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is a relational idea where he welcomes you. You're precious to him. He embraces you. He knows you and he holds you up right there. You stand in the day of judgment because your delighting determined your destiny. Folks, there's two different kinds of people, two different destinies, and it's based on their delights. And your everyday delighting determines that destiny. So the psalm is saying, if you want to be satisfied, delight in God by delighting in his word by meditating on it. You'll be changed. You'll be satisfied. Do you hear it? Do you hear the promise? That's what it's saying. And what are you going to do with this? If you're like me, your actual everyday theology needs to come closer to your formal theology. What are you going to do? Start with praying. You got a cold heart? Start with praying. God, help me. I'm so far from delighting like this. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Make a plan. Make a plan. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This is for you. This is for you. How are you going to delight in his word? How are you going to meditate on it? Join a growth group. That's what we're doing. We're meditating on God's word together. But here's the biggest one. Listen. We've got to delight in Jesus. How many of you would say uh, you're bored? You've mocked God's word. It hasn't been a priority to you sometimes. And when we ask these honest questions like, when we see God, the, nature, the, the relationship between God's word and himself, when we're like, God, your word, meh. What are we saying about God? What are you saying? What have you said to God? I'm guilty when I look at this psalm. And that's why we need to read this psalm and every text of the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. Who is Jesus? In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God, the person of the Word of God, the communication of God, the action of God. And Jesus is the poster child for Psalm 1, isn't he? Did he walk in the counsel of the wicked? Never once. Did he stand in the way of sinners? Not an inch. 
Did he ever sit in the seat of scoffers? Never. What did he delight in? He delighted in the law of the Lord on his law. He meditated on it day and night. When Satan tempts Jesus, what's his response? The word of God. Bam. When Jesus is on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word of God, Jesus, is being broken for you and I, we who have broken the word of God. And as he's being broken, he's quoting the word of God. He's mumbling Psalm 22 throughout his entire death. That's what I think, because that's what it's about. He's reading it. He bleeds it. He bleeds scripture. Jesus is Psalm 1. He's the one who's done this. And isn't it amazing that the word of God himself was broken for we who have broken the word of God. I want to tell you right now the gospel. Jesus died for your lack of delight in God. Jesus delighted in his father enough and delighted in you and I enough to be broken, to die for our lack of delight in God and his word. He died for it. And he rose so that our delights might change. Change. I want you to see God's love for you in Jesus. Undeserved love. Right? We've mocked. We've been bored. We haven't delighted. And we have been loved and delighted in any way through Jesus. His life, his death, and his resurrection. Come to him. Delight in him by faith. Saying, Jesus, I haven't. You have. Save me. Change me. And then, Lord, as you make me new, change what I delight in. Let's delight ourselves in Jesus, the word of God who was broken for us, the undeserving. If you've been far, if your heart feels crusty right now, come, he will receive you. Delight in him. And then grow in delighting in his word by constantly meditating on it. Why? So that we can be satisfied, truly happy in him. Let's pray. God, I confess my heart. We confess our hearts. God, we've run. We haven't loved you. We don't deserve to stand in your judgment. But we look to Jesus right now. He's the one. He did it. He did it. He did it for us. He loved you. He delighted in your word. And he lived that life we couldn't live and haven't lived. And he died the death in our place. And he rose from the dead. Oh, God, we want it. We want it. We trust. We believe in what he's done for us. Save us, God. Thank you that you forgive us of our sins. Thank you that you forgive us for our hearts toward you. Thank you. And now heal us, Lord. Heal us in him and move in us, Lord. Turn in us. Give us delights that please you. Let us get get into your word and hear it as your letter to us and meditate on it, chew on it, dwell with you in it, and bear that fruit in our lives. God, we can't do this on our own. We look to you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.